Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Happy Easter, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm so thrilled that you chose to spend your Easter with us here at Frontline. Uh, If you're watching online with us, just so thrilled to have you uh, joining in with us as well uh, and spending your time with us at at one of our services here, celebrating the resurrection, celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive. And so um, if you are new with us, it's kind of, this is kind of a special Easter uh, for me and for my family. This is our 21st Easter being a part of Frontline um, as a church, which is awesome. And... We've actually been here for all 21 of those Easter's. Like there wasn't a year where we were like gone or on vacation or anything. And uh, maybe this is your first time uh, with us for Easter Sunday morning. And again, just thrilled that you chose to spend your Sunday morning, uh, Easter Sunday with us. And you would have no idea if you are new that we've been in this conversation, this study since the beginning of January, where we've been looking at the big story of the Bible. And what we've been talking about is really the big story of the Bible tells one big story about one person the person of Jesus Christ, and it's a story about how God pursues us, how he pursues us in the person of Jesus. And so uh, we've been looking at that, and so today we're going to wrap up that series by looking at the resurrection and talking about the hope that we have in Easter Sunday morning. So I want to introduce you to someone, if I could. This is Joan Ginther. And this was Joan Ginther in 1993 when she won the lottery. You can see her holding the, the little ticket there. Uh, And so 1993, she won $5.4 million and it transformed her life overnight. She was living in this small rural town in Texas and suddenly she was free of the burdens of, you know, a house payment, a car payment, uh, all other debts all immediately wiped out. Now that's incredible. But what's really amazing about Joan Ginther is that 13 years later in 2006, Joan Ginther won the lottery a second time, this time for $2 million, which is just mind-blowing, right? I mean, what are the chances of lightning striking twice with the same person and the same thing? Uh, But actually, what's annoyingly amazing about Joan Ginther is that two years later, in 2008, she bought another scratch-off lotto ticket, and she won another $3 million in the lottery, Unbelievable. To make matters worse, she wasn't done. Two years after that, in 2010, she won again, this time for her largest winning. She won $10 million in that final one, bringing her total winnings to a grand total of $20.4 million. Uh, People way smarter than me have actually ran the odds on this. And basically the math on this is of the chances of one person winning the lottery four times in their lifetime is one in 18 septillions. That's a lot. She's still playing the lottery, by the way. I, I, I read up on it. She still plays every single week. She might win again a fifth time. Have you ever looked at someone else, looked at someone else's life and just asked the question, why is life so unfair? Anybody else besides me? 
I mean, your mama told you life wasn't fair when you were little, right? We all grew up hearing that. But why is life so unfair? Have you noticed this? We get angry when someone uh, other than us experiences an unfair amount of good things in this life. The, The Joan Ginthers of the world. Something inside of us just goes, that's just not right. Why them? Why not me? But at the same time, the opposite is also true. We get really, really angry when someone, including us, experiences an unfair amount of bad things in this life. We've seen it over the last couple of weeks in the news. Um, you know, towns like Bucha in Ukraine, as this Russian-Ukrainian uh, war has gone on, and we've seen just the lives of, of so many innocent civilians have been destroyed and have been killed Something inside of us just gets angry when we see that. We know that's not right. When a loved one dies of cancer, when they're too young, uh, when bad things happen to good people, I mean, these are are the things that that violate something inside of us. And I would say the reason that we get angry, uh, whether for good things or for for unfair amount of bad things, the reason we get so angry is because every single human being hardwired inside of us, we have this internal sense of justice. It's like a compass that just points the true north. We all have this sense when, that there are things that are just wrong in this world and we long for them to be made right. In fact, I would tell you, I think that's why we love the story of the resurrection and, and we love the story of the end of the Bible, the picture of heaven that we're giving, that all of history is moving toward. Because the picture that's painted for us at the end of the Bible is this picture of, of this uh, world where wrongs are gonna be made right. Things are going to be made right again. Those injustices in our world are going to be repaired. And in fact, if you understand the resurrection in the context of the big story of the Bible, what you realize is that the resurrection is actually the first thing in all of creation that's being made right again. It's the first wrong that's being made right. And and the resurrection connects us to that picture of our eternal home, our our final uh, world that we ultimately long for. Here's the problem. Uh, for so many of us. The problem is our human idea of justice, our human idea of wrongs being made right could not be more different than God's idea of justice. But when you look at the Bible, when you read the story of what God is trying to do throughout the story of scripture, you realize our human idea our kind of broken world and our broken idea of what it means for wrong things to be made right circumstances to be fixed, situations to be made right, is so different than God's idea of what it's going to mean for justice to happen in our world. I'd say it this way. We want things to be made right. God wants you to be made new. When you look at what God is trying to do through the resurrection, we, we want things in our world to be made right, situations, circumstances, problems, But what God is trying to do, he's trying to make you new. Think about it this way. We we want things to be made right. When you think about justice, what is justice in our world? Oftentimes, this is the image uh, that we, uh, it appears in our head. It's the scales of justice, right? You've seen this before. This is oftentimes our human idea of justice. It's this idea that good things have to happen to kind of outweigh the bad things that have happened. We all understand bad things have happened, and so there have to be some good things to sort of even it out. In fact, many of you have probably seen this statue. Maybe you didn't realize what it was. It's on the court buildings of, of many court buildings in America as well as in Europe. This is Lady Justice. 
She's got a sword in one hand, and then in the other hand, she's holding up the scales of justice. This, this idea, maybe you grew up Catholic and, and you understood the idea is that, you know, I have to do enough good things in my life to sort of outweigh the bad things that I've done. And that's, uh, hopefully, uh, I will have done that by the time my life is over. And so that's the way oftentimes we understand justice. But actually, God's idea of justice is totally different than that. The way God talks about how he's going to make the world right again is basically God is going to make you and I new through the resurrection, even in the midst of things not being made right yet. Even in the midst of of things not being made right, God, through the resurrection, Jesus can make us new in preparation for the new heaven, the new earth, the new world that's coming. And so that's, that's the hope that we have. That's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning. Now, what do we mean by made new? What am I talking about when I say God wants to make you new? Uh, Well, I think you really see a picture of how God wants to make us new through the resurrection in the story itself in John chapter 20 that Blake started reading uh, just a moment ago. You you see it in the story of the resurrection. And so we're going to look together at at a story here in the Gospels of the resurrection. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. The scriptures are going to appear on the screen. And by the way, if you'd like a a Bible, we actually have a bunch of them on these uh, shelves kind of on your way out of the room. Feel free to grab one and you can keep it. It's yours. We'd love to give you that if you don't have a Bible of your own. Um, but, but what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this story and then um, we're going to have a chance for you to respond and a chance for you to kind of respond to what we just spent some time talking about. So if I could set the stage, what's happened is it's Easter Sunday morning. The disciples have come just like Blake read uh, about a moment and they found the tomb was empty. So the tomb is empty, but they haven't met the resurrected Jesus yet. They haven't seen him yet in his resurrected form. So it's now night, it's in the evening of the Sunday, of Resurrection Sunday, and they're kind of gathered together and they're like, man, uh, what, what happened? The tomb was empty, but they don't fully understand. Like, did Jesus rise from the grave? Uh, what is this? So in verse 19, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, in just that short uh, few sentences, so much happens. And so what I'd love to do is there's just, there's three things that just jump out to me when I read those couple of, of verses and I just kind of look at these. These are three things that, that kind of paint a picture for us of how God wants to make us new through the resurrection. So let's walk through these together. The first thing that just jumps out of me is this idea that the doors were shut and locked. Disciples are gathered together, but the doors are shut and are locked. Now, why? It's because they're afraid. It says right in there, who are they afraid of? They're afraid of the Jewish leaders. So what happened is the disciples all just watched their leader be killed, be hung on a cross and crucified in this gory, bloody, violent death. And so why are they gathered together in a room with the doors locked? Because they're afraid they're next. They're afraid the same thing is, is going to happen to them. They're terrified that they're going to be killed next. And so uh, when we look at this, you know, oftentimes we, look, we read these stories and, and we're, we realize we're not really that different than the disciples, are we? We kind of react in the same way. When unfair things happen, when unjust things happen in our lives, when we experience pain, when we experience hurt, when we're afraid, we do the same thing. We lock the doors of our lives so we don't have to be hurt again. 
Maybe you've locked other people out. Maybe you've locked God himself out. That's what we do. And the end result of that is when we lock the doors of our lives and we hide, ultimately, maybe it, it keeps us from experiencing more pain. But the other thing it locks out is healing. It locks out sometimes even the way that God wants to speak into our lives. And so what Jesus wants to do for you today is what he did for the disciples in this same story we're reading. Jesus wants to let himself in to our personal prison cells of fear and pain and hurt and rejection where we've locked the doors. He wants to appear and he wants to speak peace, shalom. Just like he did to the disciples, he wants to bring healing. He wants to bring peace. Jesus made the first move. He, he made the first move with the disciples. He reached out to them and he, he wants to, he's making the first move with you right now. He's pursuing you in the midst of whatever it is that's happened in your life, whatever it is that's taken place in the past. So, so that's the situation. The doors are shut and locked. Jesus lets himself in. And the very first thing, this blows my mind. The very first thing he wants to do is he shows them his scars from the cross. Did you cast that? It says he shows them his hands where the nails have gone through. He shows them his side where they ran a spear through his side. Now that's amazing because obviously what Jesus is trying to do there, right, is he's trying to show, prove to them that it's really him. Like, see, look, it's really me. Uh, yeah, that, that's why he shows them the nail scars. But think about this for a minute. The risen, resurrected Jesus in his perfect body, his restored heavenly body, still has the scars from the cross on it. When you read the story of the end of the Bible, the Bible talks about the, the future that we have, our eternal home. It talks about it in terms of it's a restoration of all things. It's a new heaven and a new earth where God is making all things new. But apparently there's going to be one thing in all of creation that's not made new. Jesus will still have the scars from the cross, even in heaven. Now, why? Why would that be the case? Well, if you think about what a scar is, a scar really is just a healed wound, isn't it? I mean, I've got scars, you've got scars on your body. A scar, when you look at it, it's a reminder of pain that's happened in your life, but it's also a reminder of healing that's taken place. And so Jesus holds on to his scars from the cross. It's something he's proud of. It's something when he, when he immediately encounters the disciples, he's like, look at these, see these? I, I want to show you these. Now, that's not what we do. As human beings, nobody does that with their scars, right? Uh, in fact, there's this whole movement. We're, we're so you know, ashamed of our scars, and oftentimes we're, we're in a culture where we're so aware of how we look and, and beauty and all that kind of stuff. There's actually a movement right now happening with tattoo artists and people who do ink, which is really interesting to me where uh, they're being asked more and more to actually create tattoos over scars, which is a, just a really beautiful thing to do because people oftentimes do carry so much shame about their scars and the way they affect them that oftentimes um, the, these tattoo artists will actually be commissioned. I actually have a friend who had this done over some scars uh, on her body. Um, so the idea is that when you look at those tattoos, you no longer see the scar and you're not reminded of the pain. You just see the tattoo. And when other people look at that scar, they don't see the scar, and so they don't ask questions. And there's nothing you have to explain. The reason we do this, the reason this is such a big deal is because we are ashamed of our scars. We hide our scars. But there are some times when people are not ashamed of their scars. 
There is an image that I saw a few years ago that was kind of being passed around on the internet. And I was fascinated by it. And so I began to just kind of research and figure out the story behind this image. And so the story you're about, behind this image you're about to see is there was a father who had a, a young boy, a young son who got brain cancer. And he had to have a surgery to remove a, a large tumor in his head. And so he has the, the surgery and it leaves him with this very large C-shaped scar on the side of his head. And so apparently the father... Uh, you know, is so broken for his son and he loves him so much and he doesn't want his son to feel alone in this. And so the father decides to get a tattoo. When are you not afraid of a scar? The only time is when you're, that scar is proof of your love for someone else. Jesus breaks into the middle of these locked doors of this room where the disciples are, and he says, look at these. You see these scars? I want, he's proud of them. He shows them off. Why? Because those scars were proof that his love did not fail on the cross. And that's what you need to hear this morning. Jesus still bears the scars, and he will for all of eternity. You won't have any scars in eternity, but Jesus will always have them because his scars were proof that his love did not fail you on the cross. His love did not fail you when you promised you wouldn't go back to it. But then you did. You picked up the bottle again. His love did not fail you. When that thing happened to you that you don't tell other people about, the abuse, the, the trauma that happened, his love did not fail you when that happened. When they left, when their love failed you, when, when the divorce happened, uh, when your dad left, when your child turned around and walked away from everything you raised them to believe, his love did not fail you. The scars are proof that Jesus' death on the cross was for you. And that he died on the cross to pay the price for all of your sins, all of them, past, present, and future. Even the ones you ain't even thought of yet, he paid the price for them all on the cross. His love won't fail you. He won't quit on you. So he lets himself into the room where the doors are locked. He shows them his scars from the cross. He's proud of them. And then the last sentence that we just read, it is so amazing to me. It says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That's how this interaction ends. Now, now, again, they start, they're terrified, right? They're behind the locked doors. They're absolutely scared. They're not coming out of that room. And this, it ends after this encounter with Jesus. They're overjoyed. Their fear turns into joy. And if you read the rest of the story, you know they don't stay in that locked room. They go forward. They go out. And that's how we're sitting here in this room today as the gospel message continued to spread. For over 2,000 years, people have been journeying to the empty tomb and finding Jesus. They, they, they turn from fear and, and, and terror, terror to being completely overjoyed. Why? Because when they see Jesus, when they see the scars in his hands, when they realize he's rose from the grave, they realize that the only real enemy that can still threaten us in this world, death itself, has been defeated, has been overcome in him. That's why they're overjoyed. 
Whatever the Jewish leaders do, whatever the Roman centurions do to them, it doesn't matter. Death is temporary. They realize in that moment he's overcome the grave. When we see Jesus again in the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, in the picture of the new heaven and the new earth, when we, when we encounter Jesus again, what he says about himself is he says, behold, I'm holding the keys of death and the grave. They've been overcome. There's nothing left to fear. I have a good friend who... Uh, he and his wife had a daughter, and when she was about two years old, the same age as our son Aaron, she suffered a massive brain aneurysm that left her uh, severely handicapped. For the rest of her life, she spent in a wheelchair, unable to speak, until she was about eight years old uh, when she finally passed away from uh, complications from what she had experienced. So my, my friend and I, we were having lunch, her, her dad, her father, we were having lunch and he was trying to, you know, process what had happened. And so he was sitting there talking about the last five minutes, the last five coherent minutes that he had with his daughter. And the way it happened was this, she wakes up in the middle of the night, two years old, and she's just screaming in her crib. And so he gets up, he goes into her room. And if, you're, if you've been a parent, you've had these moments where your kids wake you up in the middle of the night, you don't know what's going on. He goes in and he's tired, he's angry, he's frustrated with her, he's short with her. And for about five minutes, he spends just trying to sort of angrily put her back to bed because she's keeping them up and she's screaming. And of course, he doesn't know what's happening. And then all of a sudden, she, she begins to have a seizure and he realizes something more severe is happening. And so he, he talks a lot about those last five minutes, those last five minutes of coherent, you know, thought he had with his daughter. And he talks about them almost like they're a ghost that follows him around and haunts him. So literally in the restaurant, he's just saying like, seriously, in her last five minutes with her father, when she's scared, when she's hurting, that's the way I acted? That's the way I treated her. I, I was short, I was angry, I was, that's what she got from me, and that's the last few moments she had with me? Like he's just, he can't forgive himself. He's just tortured by those last five minutes. What do you say to that as a friend? So I leaned across the table and I gave him the only hope that I have in all my life and all, all that I've encountered in my life. And I would argue today it's the only real hope that there actually is in this world. And here's what I said. I said, listen, the last five minutes were about suffering and pain. But can you imagine what her first five minutes were like when she was with her heavenly father? In fact, can you imagine what your first five minutes are gonna be like when you see her again in heaven and she's made new? She no longer needs the wheelchair. And she'll speak again. And she'll wrap her arms around you I, I long for my friend to spend more of his life anticipating and dreaming about the first five minutes and less time grieving the last five minutes. Do you see it? What he wants to do for you is so much greater than just make things right. He wants to make you new. That's why the disciples are overjoyed. That's why they celebrate. That's why we still celebrate today. People say things like, how could God, if he's so good, how could God let my uncle die of COVID? Actual conversation I had just recently with someone. 
How could God let that heartbreak happen to my child? How, how could God let that person be taken too soon? How could God do that? How could, how could he allow suffering? <laughs> you have to understand the greatest need that you have is not for God to make all those things right again. Your greatest need is for him to make you new again. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he died on a cross. And that's why he rose again from the grave because the greatest need of all of our lives is to be made new. And he's doing it. He's done it for me. He'll do it for you. And so uh, I, I love this, you know, passage of scripture because one of the hardest things for me over 21 years of journeying, even just with people here in this church, is when I see people turn away from God because of their scars, because of their pain. And Jesus says, I want you to bring those scars to me because I want to make you new. This is how the New Testament describes it when, when someone does that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's a picture of what happens when we come to Jesus. And so the big question to ask then is how are we made new? How do we do that? How do we allow Jesus to begin this work of making us new in him? Uh, the most clear and simple place in all the Bible that I can find where it talks about how to do that is Romans 10, verse 9. We, we looked at this first together at our Good Friday service, if you were there and part of that. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be made new in him. And so that's what I want to do uh, in the next couple minutes. I, I'd love to give you a chance to do exactly that, to pray a prayer. And really, it's, it's really more of a confession because what we're doing is we're confessing with, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so there's gonna be a, a prayer that's gonna appear on the screen behind me. And this, this prayer is just a simple way of doing what, exactly what that verse says and just coming to Jesus and confessing him as Lord. And so if you're here today, maybe you're looking at this on the screen, maybe you're, you're seeing it online, looking at, at the screen that you're watching from from home and you're saying, you know, I did that at one time in my life. Maybe you heard this, maybe at one point in your life, you took that step and you, you, you prayed a prayer similar to this. But if you're honest, from that moment to this, what's happened is you've gotten some scars and your life hasn't been about marching toward the new life, the future. It's been about locking the doors and hiding and, you know, embracing the old life. So maybe today what you're saying is I'm coming afresh to the empty tomb. I'm coming afresh to Jesus because I need to be made new. Things may not get made right in my lifetime, but I can be made new. And that's what you're saying today. When you do that, whether it's the first time, maybe it's the first time you've ever heard this, but when you do that, when you say, Jesus, make me new in you, what happens is he begins this journey of making us new. All things in our lives, just like all things in our world one day will be made new. And what happens when we do that is we come to a place where our locked doors are less and less needed. And we start to live free and open with our scars. We're not ashamed of them anymore. You can see them because they're just testimonies of what he's done. Our greatest tests, our greatest scars, our greatest pain just become our greatest testimony, our greatest uh, measure of what God's done in our lives. He truly sets people free. So if you'd bow your heads with me, even if you're watching online, would love for you to do this. 
You can see it there on the screen. But I'm gonna pray that prayer out loud. And if that's you, if if today is a day you're saying, I know I, I wanna be made new in Jesus, would you just pray this with me in the quietness of your own heart? Just let these words be your words. So Jesus, we come to you now. Jesus, I know you rose from the grave to make me new. I put my trust in you and I confess you as Lord of my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and make me new in you. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, what we believe is that if you just prayed that prayer, what happens? What just happened is you got saved. You've just been made new in Christ. And, and you're beginning a journey. It's a starting line moment, not a finish line moment of God going, going to continue to walk with you and make all things new in your life and in our world. And so what we do as the church is when people take that step, we're a community of people centered around the person of Jesus and the hope we find in him. And so we celebrate when people do that. We celebrate when people take that step and are made new. And so if you prayed that prayer, if that was you, um, then here's what I would love for you to do. And if you're watching online, this is gonna appear on the screen. I would love you to get out, for you to get out your phone and you can see um, on the screen there, it says, uh, if you've been made new in Christ, text FL Jesus to that number that's appearing there on the screen. And if you're the type, you're like, well, I don't really do that kind of stuff on my phone. If you wanna reach underneath your chair, we have a card that basically does the same thing. Um, you can just grab one of those cards and there are pins everywhere as well. And all it's gonna do if you text in or what you see there on the card is it's gonna ask for your name and just ask for you to let us know that you made that decision. You trusted in Christ so that we can celebrate that so that we can pray with you. And then the other thing is, uh, and I'll tell you what to do with the card at the end. Um, it, it'll also bounce something back to you. Well, the first thing it'll bounce back to you is that thing that says message and data rate supply. Sorry about that. That's a legal thing. We can't do anything about it. But the second thing that you're gonna get is something that'll just allow you to tell us that you made the decision. And we would love to send you some more information about how to take a next step to be made new in Christ. A next step to keep journeying, to keep going, allowing God to do more healing in your life. Now, you're obligated to nothing, okay? You're not committing to anything. All you're, all you're doing is letting us know so we can celebrate with you and we can send you some information about how to take a next step if you so choose to do so. Um, but we are the church and we celebrate these things. We celebrate when people come to Christ. We, we celebrate when people journey to the empty tomb like they've been doing for 2000 years and make the same discovery the disciples made that the tomb is empty, that we can be made new in Jesus. Things may not be made right in our world as we look around, but we can be made new because we are people of Easter and our future is to be made new in Christ for all of eternity. So we're gonna celebrate by singing. And as we sing, go ahead and text in or fill out those cards. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you wanna take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.